countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Welcome back to the fourth annual Fakey Thanksgiving Day Parade, and boy, has it been quite a parade thus far. Yes! Who knew these things were still popular? I thought halfway through the second hour, most people would have bailed and switched over one of those uh, squid games. Well, it just goes to show you that even in this era of political discord, most people still enjoy watching gas bags full of hot air parade down Main Street. Speaking of street, let's get back down to street level with our ace reporter, Jay Scott. J.A.? Thanks, Andy. As you can see, most people are anxiously awaiting the arrival of the next giant balloon. Well, that is those who have already plastered off their asses thanks to the Rumpelman's company giving out free samples with their float this year. Yeah, I'm glad they decided not to go ahead and with their original plans of teaming up with the folks from the Louisville Slugger Company, as I could have seen that quickly turning into something out of the purge. And here comes the next balloon now, and boy is this going to be a treat for all our listeners out there, as it looks like it's that great American institution, the last comic shop, with a balloon-sized version of their logo, which most people think is some sort of New England-style lighthouse. And it is indeed a special treat, as our own Chad Smith was in charge of setting up the last comic shop's entry for this year's parade, and I've been told he's got a special surprise for all our fans along that route. That's right. By the way, you guys heard Lighthouse? I always heard Robot Genitalia. Anyway, the last comic shop balloon is actually a house at the end of the broken down street, by the way, but it is filled with 700,000 cubic feet of helium! But inside, there are specially placed volunteers near the top of that balloon, handing out free copies of New 52 DC Comics with Superman on the cover for all those loving comic book readers that showed up at the parade today. And who doesn't like free comics, right? And of course, all those single issues will make a great treat. Oh, uh, about that, they're not the single issues. I was able to get the Omnibus at such a great price. Uh, I thought, ah, oh, the fans will love it. These are like thousand-page versions, 52 new comics at once, hardbound and ready to fly. And I can see the balloon now as it approaches the intersection and they're throwing something out of it and it is, oh my god, the comics are hitting in the crowd like bags of wet cement. They're so thick, they're maiming some of the small children. There are folks fleeing in terror. Get away, get away from there. It's absolute madness. Oh, the humanity. <clears throat> uh, let's cut back and get an official statement from Chad Smith on the wanton chaos that just unfolded on the streets below. Do you have anything to say in the face of this unmitigated disaster? As God is my witness, I thought those Supermans could fly. <laughs> hey, hey, and it is now time for more of the last comic shop. Where we open up the shop to newbies and help them find their way underneath the comic book tent. And where we keep the shop open for the oldies to help them level up by uh, reading and talking about comic books and stuff. And I'm, of course, the host with the most, Andy Larson, and I'm joined by Chad Smith and J.A. Scott. And as you could tell by our wonderful opening, it is now time for our Thanksgiving Day show. That's right, Turkey Day! And what do we do on Turkey Day, folks? We watch tons of Mystery Science Theater 3000, but we're a comic book podcast. So how do we kind of make sure that we're also faithful Misties here on the wonderful day of the year that we like to watch bad movies? We, of course, read a Mystery Science Theater 3000 comic book, which was actually put out a couple of years ago and uh, around the same time as season 11 started, as some of the folks that... Uh, supported the Kickstarter, like myself and J.A. Scott, who have been lifelong Misties. J.A., do you have a favorite episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000? Oh, I don't know. That's hard to that's hard to choose. There's so many good ones. I like Outlaw of Gore, Fire Maidens from Outer Space, Alien from L.A. with the beautiful Kathy Ireland. There you go. Yeah, she is a hottie in that one. You know, anything that comes out of that season four, that was like the gold mine for Mystery Science Theater for me. Episodes like Attack of the Eye Creatures, Manos of the Hands of Fate, A Bride of the Monster, Teenagers from Outer Space, all of the Hercules films. Like, that season is just stacked. So anything that comes out of that season is wonderful. And just Chad, for the record, I'm that curmudgeon where I'm not a big Misty. 
Uh, I like the idea behind the show, but for me, it's like those toy unboxing videos the kids watch on YouTube. <laughs> I don't get the chance to watch as many movies as I want to anyway. Why would I spend my time watching bad ones and watching somebody else make fun of them? If I want to have a good time, I'll make fun of them myself. I'll get my buddies together. So cool concept and all, and I can appreciate that uh, there are tons of Misties out there. But yeah, I don't have a favorite episode because I'm out making fun of movies on my own. Oh, there you go. Oh, he's a rogue riffer. But if he's not thankful for Mystery Science Theater 3000 on this uh, Thanksgiving Day, I thought that we would take a couple moments here on the beginning of today's show to talk about comic books that we are thankful for. And we'll go ahead and start off with uh, Chad Smith in order to help him, I don't know, redeem himself in his curmudgeonliness. Chad, there's got to be comic books that you're thankful for as a fan uh, that you might want other uh, uh, of our last comic shop listeners to maybe check out as a result of your love of them. No, there are tons of great comic books to be thankful for. I think of those old classic Spider-Man stories. Like all the issues up through the first hundred or so are just wonderful. But for me, some of the comics that I love the most are the uh, Anne Nascenti and John Romita Jr. Daredevil comics. Frank Miller is like the, the biggest name uh, in 80s comic books. Everybody goes to the Frank Miller stuff, and that is great. But if you want something totally different, uh, check out those Anacenti issues, especially around the time of Acts of Vengeance. They just went crazy. Like, Daredevil beats Ultron to death with a stick. And then Gorgon and Karnak from the Inhumans have a giant naked fight with nuclear missiles to blow up the world. And then they go through heaven and hell and the Silver Surfer shows up. And Mephisto's there, but he's not Mephisto like anybody's ever drawn him before. He's this giant like Mephisto. And then there's Blackheart that pops up in the middle, and it's the best John Romita Jr. art. I think it's because it has Al Williamson on inks. Whatever. It's some of the best comic bookery that uh, I hold near and dear to my heart, and it's one of those runs that doesn't get the love, I think, that it deserves. And so I'm thankful it's out there. I'm thankful I was exposed to it early on in my comic reading career. And uh, it's one of those things that got me hooked. Absolutely. J.A., what are you thankful for in terms of comics this uh, Thanksgiving season? I think this might surprise you, but I'm going to say I'm thankful for Amazing Spider-Man issue 299. Because it was the first comic that I read that really got me into comics. It came in this comic book collector's kit. That came with a box and some boards and some bags. And you got five free comics with it. Well, not free because you paid for the whole kit. And <laughs> Spider-Man 299. If anyone doesn't know, that's the first appearance of Venom at the end. Uh, but it has a nice story with chance. And uh, it's one of those where Spider-Man's tracking a guy who turns out that they end up teaming up to get away from something else and sort of gonzo crazy 1980s spider-man with todd mcfarlane when peter's feeling blue mary jane takes him out clubbing and he decides that he can't live in her world and she's a model at this point and it's just they're all over the place but um i'm thankful for it because it it's, it was my first dipping the toe into the comic book universe and uh, i've been reading comics ever since that day so even though i don't read a lot of spider-man it was my first Okay. You always remember your first. There you go. That's and, right. And I do remember my first. And I think I'll start off by saying that, you know, number one, the most important comic book that is in my collection is it hangs upon my wall is a copy of Marvel Tales 143, uh, which features a reprint of The Amazing Spider-Man's first battle with the Lizard, a reprint of Amazing Spider-Man number six. And as a kid... It, it captured my imagination as like basically, you know, Spider-Man was going to this like castle in the middle of a swamp and he had to fight the lizard. And it's got that wonderful Steve Ditko art. And it was about the same time that I was watching all of the uh, Spider-Man 67 cartoons. I had a, a VHS copy. Uh, you know, I, I, I got that. And then from there, I would pick up other issues of Amazing Spider-Man. And, and luckily for me. Uh, Marvel Tales was out there because as a young kid, and it's one thing that I think Ch Chad and I have talked about, they don't have enough reprints out there on the newsstands. They, they've been doing it recently with like the true believers and everything like that. But like whether it was that or classic X-Men, that was what really got, you know, young kids introduced to these awesome comic books that got people excited, you know, with the, you know, Stan Lee and the Steve Ditko or the Chris Claremont and the John Byrne and stuff like that. Heck yeah. And 
we've talked about it, but you had simultaneously the new books that everybody's always excited about that, the next new thing. But then you have the classics, too. And so it was a really quick and easy way for kids to get introduced to why those characters that are showing up in the new books are awesome. You get to see the old thing that made them the best thing in the first place. I love classic X-Men because not only did you get these reprinted stories, but Chris Claremont went back and added to them. It's not just a reprint of some old issue. You're getting some extra stuff with it. Yeah, and they had some really great new covers, too. I mean, not to say that the original covers aren't exactly awesome, but, like, it was kind of neat that you got some new covers for some of those things. Art Adams cover for number one. Steve Lytle, who's a great under-respected artist, did some covers on that. It was so sad this year when he passed away, and and that was the first thing I thought of was all of those wonderful covers that he did for classic X-Men that, like, again, were just completely different from the interior art, but still captured your imagination and made you want to pick up that issue on the stands. I don't know why they don't do it more often. That's just me. Another thing that I'm very thankful for, and I got to throw it out there, is any of the Alex Raymond original Flash Gordon strips. As you might know on this show by listening to it, I'm a huge fan of comic strips. Every Sunday on the uh, Last Comic Shop Twitter or Instagram pages, you can see me do this month in comic book history, and it always deals with Sunday funnies. I'm still waiting for your uh, deep dive into Mark Trail. (laughs) tried to deep dive into is again the alex raymond flash gordon if you've never had an opportunity to read this i mean again it started off as just kind of like a comic uh, strip version of um john carter and the, the mars thing about you know this guy going to a different planet and all of a sudden he gets thrown into all this palace intrigue and fighting ming the merciless and joining forces with all these forces but you can see that like from there alex raymond just blows up this universe of mongrel gives you like lion men and forest men and underwater adventures and up to the frozen wastes and and hawkmen and and flying cities and and just beautiful beautiful art i i think that's the one thing is if you're a comic book fan and you listen to the last comic shop i can recommend that you check out alex raymond's flash gordon for no other reason than the wonderful wonderful art every single panel is almost like museum quality stuff like it really is like it's breathtaking but it but it was read by millions of people and you should read it too. I am super thankful that I was introduced to that because it is it basically really did change my whole thought process about what really good art is in comic books. And as usual, the thing we're most thankful for is people downloading our show so we can feel like we're doing this for a reason. Thanks, Yins, guys. <laughs> there you go. And we hope that you stick around for the rest of this week's show. We're, again, going to be reviewing the Mystery Science Theater 3000 comic book, and we'll get to our review right after these commercial breaks. Stay tuned. We got commercial signs! everybody hey i'm ashley and i'm maggie we're from rock candy podcast kind of like behind the music except unauthorized and drunk but come along every week and listen to us talk about artists or albums that you may know really well or may have never heard of while we're drinking beers witty things to talk about great hot takes with some hot babes (laughs) that's subjective but okay (laughs) so go find us on apple podcasts Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and wherever you catch your pods. And with that, party party on, kids! kids. Wow, that sounded forced. (laughs) Is it not? Looking for a podcast all about nerddom? Want a podcast with an emphasis on representation? The Nerd Alternative is the podcast for you. Join me, Ram. Me, Hassan. And me, Levi. Three black British nerds tackling the pop culture we love and sharing why we love them. The Nerd Alternative, a sweet melting pot of all things nerdy. Okay, and we're back. I hope you have your cold leftover turkey, yams, stuffing, cranberry sauce, which nobody eats, but everyone says they like. (laughs) (laughs) It's time for our Read Pile Review, and this week, as we said, we are going to be looking at Mystery Science Theater 3000, the comic. And Chad, who made this beautiful comic book series, which we are reading uh, issues one through six of? That's correct. And the answer is a lot of people. So it was created for comics by Joel Hodgson, developed by Joel and Harold Buckholtz, and written by 
Harold Buckholtz, Joe Hodson, Matt McGinnis, Seth Robinson, Cheryl Volpe, Mark Robinson. With art during the MST3K scenes by Todd Knock. The in comics art is done by Mike Manley with Jack Pollock and Mimi Simon. Colors by Wes Zoba, Mike Manley, Jack Pollock, and Mimi Simon. Letters by Michael Heisler. Published by Dark Horse in 2018, right around the launch of the Netflix seasons. Yes. Yeah, it was about the same time as, they, again, they finished up their original Kickstarter, which brought this series back to the forefront of everybody's consciousness after many, many years of just being in reruns. So, so Andrew, yes. give us a 10-cent synopsis of this. Okay. Well, I'm going to give it a shot. And as uh, our good friend Mikey Wood said, sometimes you got to leave them wanting more when it comes to a synopsis. So in essence, this is just like the Mystery Science Theater 3000 television show, except they poke fun at old comics. So again, Kingo Forrester, which you may know from the new Mystery Science Theater 3000 show as the current Mad with Son of TV's Frank. Um, they uh, basically zap Jonah and Croti uh, uh, Robot and Tom Servo into a variety of, I guess, Silver Age and Golden Age comic books in hopes of just, again, poking fun at them and kind of trying to recreate that same magic that Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans have been enjoying for decades off of the show in their riffing of movies. So did it work, guys? I guess I, that's the quick question. This is a concept comic book, to say the least. And did this concept work? So as someone who watches and loves MST3K, I was excited for this. And and I got really into the, the setups. Not unlike being a huge fan of the host segments. And then yes. you go into the movie and you're like, oh, that movie's not so good. Because the most enjoyable MST3K shows for me were the ones where I actually liked the movie a bit, too. Yes. And I could get into the riffing. Once I got the concept down and, and I could figure out, oh, the word bubble with the little circle, those are the riffs, where the word bubbles that are just word bubbles, that's like the actual. It was okay. I don't think it translates. Mm. Bad movies are bad movies, but bad comics, no one reads. They're disposable, and they're, these weren't very good comics. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. So... I'm surprised. I'm going to take a similar but uh, opposing position here. I think the concept works as well as it works for the MST3K movies that they do. Like the setups I thought were fine. I thought that inside the comic stuff, it was, you know, like a joke a minute, a gag a minute, which was great. But at the same time, I, I bet this was really fun to make. And, like, to be in the room creating it, I think, you know, oh, that would be excellent as somebody reading it. To, and this is what, what surprised me about your reaction, Jay, because, like, it was just like my experience when I have watched Mystery Science Theater. It was fun for a bit, and then it just got a little bit tedious after a while. But overall, I thought I thought they had fun. I thought they did a good job with the concept. I thought going in, they would redraw the, the characters into the panels themselves from all these old public domain books. And I, I thought they really did have lots of fun with it. And I had texted guys midway through. I was like, I don't know if this comic is successful as a comic book, but I'll be darned if it's not making me hungry for some Totino's pizza rolls. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Like every ten, every 10 seconds, there's like a, an ad for Totino's pizza rolls, which I, I don't know. I, I can't recall. Did they used to have ads for Totino's pizza rolls in like the old comics from like the 80s and 90s? Was that one of the ads that we used to get all the time or or no? Like part of me thought like, yeah. They used to advertise Totino's because we were teenagers, and that's what we were eating. But yeah, you're right. I was hungry for them after a while. I was like, I know they're going to be bad for me. Darn if this doesn't make me want some, I guess. Right. I haven't had a pizza roll in probably 15 years, but that's all I could think of while I was reading this book. Like, I bet it's not the worst idea. It's not tasty. Well, I'm going to say this was my pick. As, as, a, as a massive MST3K fan, I've wanted to actually read this particular comic book on our show for a very, very long time. And I've actually pushed it out and pushed it out, pushed it out. And I said, finally, all right, it's Turkey Day. We're going to do this for our Thanksgiving Day episode. I'm going to finally get to read this from beginning to end. Because I had bought this as it was coming out, but I, I had only like 
you know, I read like two issues and then kind of it went into my pile and I was just like, okay, but now I'm going to read it from beginning to end. And I will say that I'm, I am conflicted. Like, I feel like a lot of us are on this show because I think this was a very interesting concept and some of it was really well executed. Like, I honestly love the Todd Knock art. Like, I like Todd Knock to begin with. I think he's a terrific artist from his Deadpool stuff and some other things that he's done. Like, he's got that kind of cartoony, animate kind of thing going on, and it's it's nice. And I think it works drawing basically puppets like Crow T. Robot and Tom Servo. And, uh, you know, as somebody that's re- recently supported the next MST3K Kickstarter, I'm very excited to get this poster that came as one of my rewards where Todd Nock draws all the main characters, which is going to be great. It's going to go up on my wall. If we ever do videos, like you'll see it in the background because I'm, I'm very, very excited about, I think he has a great way of drawing Joel and, and, and Mike. And in this particular instance, it's, it's Jonah. And I think the other artists do a great job of kind of weaving the Ma- mystery science theater 3000 characters into the comic books themselves. But I have to agree with JA that the best mystery science theater 3000 episodes are the ones in which I enjoy the movie. Like, even though the movies are bad, I kind of watch them. Like, I don't know. I like Lost Continent, even with all the rock climbing. It's like, oh, it's got dinosaurs and all this other stuff. So this particular book worked the best, I think, during the Crow T robot segments. Because for some bizarre reason, I just like those little, like, Crypt Keeper kind of stories that they grab from the from the Golden Age, in which basically Crow T robots pretending to be like, ah, I'm the Crypt Keeper, and we're going to tell one of these weird stories where somebody goes and tries to steal some crown from a bunch of monks in the Himalayas, and oh no, they're going to be attacked by all the zombies of people that also try to steal these jewels or whatever. That's what I thought was worked better because I was actually not only enjoying the comic book, but I was also enjoying the riffs, which is, again, what I like from Mystery Science Theater. Yeah, I like the riffs. I like when they had the characters pop up into the panel and say something. I think the thing I had the biggest problem with is when they took, like, Servo and put his head on the the guy's (laughs) body. That was, I don't know, a bridge too far for me. I was like, okay, like, where essentially Jonah or Servo or Crow became a part of the character of this old comic book, as opposed to just, you know, reading the comic book with us and riffing on it. He was now a part of the scene. And for me, that, I guess that's part of the formula that is different, obviously, from the regular MST3K movies where they just sit and they're passively watching them film. Now he's actively part of the scene and not even including the fact that you've got a, a human guy walking around with a Tom Servo head attached to him. Sort of something out of uh, Saga, almost. <laughs> so me, that- I like that part. I thought that was super absurd and, and super fun. As opposed to just guys making fun of them, they're putting the words directly in their mouths. And that was great. Yeah. I won't lie that there were a couple riffs that did make me uh, laugh out loud. I think all the best riffs from my perspective were all in this black cat story. Because, I don't know, there was like this one part where like she kicks some guy off a train and they say like, well, she just committed like murder by kicking this guy. And there was another one where like they... She's like falling through a trap door and like Gypsy comes up with a little sign that says best art in this comic. And I was just like, that's funny because, again, I do commentary on comics every single week. So I enjoyed some of the commentary on comics. But at the same time, I I think I agree with Chad that it got a little tedious after a while. Not every joke hit. And I feel like this was like two issues too long that maybe it was only supposed to be like four I mean, there was like this scene where like they get through like the first story of Black Cat, right? And then they go to a different issue. And I'm like, hold on. Like, okay, I, I'm done with this. Like, it would have been fun for one story of Black Cat. But now they just said, here's another one. All right. Maybe my, maybe my attention is waning a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if it would be better if they jumped more uh, like from book to book or if they stuck with one book throughout and just had like, one issue be the black cat issue and they all are in there at the same time making fun of black cat like but there are lots of things and lots of uh commentary on the making of comic books and like they would comment on the backgrounds of things and be like yeah especially since we're emitting this green glow or oh i paid extra money to sit in the magenta section yeah <laughs> i did like the the meta commentary on comics it's like Shelly's father is also her manager and is expecting you this afternoon. And don't forget, Parker, I need those pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. That's that's clever. I like that. I, again, I, I don't know. I, I just thought that maybe 
it was a little too long for me. Like, it, I think to Chad's point, it got a little like, okay, this was the gag, and I, I like the gag, but like, I, I don't know, like maybe the gag needed to end a little bit earlier. This would make a great backup segment. If there was like another comic you could pair this with and just give us like eight pages at the end of the MST3K stuff, like I think that would work like gangbusters. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I, I think that this would work well in kind of an anthology book where like you basically get some other interesting concepts. Uh, and again, this is only like eight to ten pages. Because a lot of Golden Age comic books, they were like parts of like larger you know, a lot of people don't realize, like, Action Comics number one, only one part of that comic actually has Superman in it. Like, the rest of it is, like, other books and other characters. You, They were usually, like, 12 to 16 pages. So you could really easily have just one segment. And plus, I don't like the other robots. Can I say that out loud as a Mystery Science Theater 3000? I don't like the other robots. I like Crow. I like Tom Servo. I'll put up with gypsy gypsy's one of the original but like the other two i think to chad's point like that would have made it better for me is like them all being in the same comic and instead of using these other robots that nobody cares about you just had crow and servo ripping on uh, instead you know what i mean like they're the ones showing up and being like oh i'm falling out of an airplane or or it makes it up so you know which issues to skip yeah (laughs) that too i don't like those (laughs) robots either I think they're dumb. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I guess they're trying to expand the, you know, the build out the team, if you will. I never understood why they needed the more robots. I guess more robots is more chances to sell toys. Yeah. Then, yeah. Do they sell toys? Are, 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 the, are the new robots the MST3K equivalent of the Ewoks? <laughs> With their Nub yeah. Nub song and... Yeah, we got to get those merchandising dollars. I I will say that, yeah. I mean, it is one of those things where, like, the hosts change or whatever, but the robots, I mean, heck, you know, if you come to Pittsburgh and you go to the Carnegie Science Museum, they have a Crow-T robot and a Tom Servo right next to R2-D2 and C-3PO there. So, like, they're, they're now becoming iconic as, like, major characters and puppetry so like i guess it's like yeah let's get some more of out there but no let's not let's not do this i'm an old curmudgeon and i like my three robots at most what else do you need i don't know but or I think if you those... count cambot technically yeah, I, I like the original cambot i don't yeah. like the, the floating eye cambot right but i i will say that i think it, it would work better to Ch- chad's point if like again you just had all of the characters in one comic book at a time like jumping around was really weird because again, uh, another thing that Chad always harps on is like he hates when they switch artists halfway through a comic book. They were doing that constantly. That was like every other page. They're not switching artists; they're switching one. comics. That was definitely by design. That was you know I, I'd give him more of a pass on it on this one because it was you know the purpose of the story or whatnot. But yeah, that drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those comics where they say so much. I feel like it's like a like a knockoff airplane kind of movie. There's so many like jokes and so many lines that at the end of the day, you're like, you just get kind of overwhelmed by them. Do you think, you know, we, we've been saying four issues, it should have been, you know, six is a bit too long. Do you think they could put out a second volume of this? Or is this, you know, a one and done thing? You can't replicate it. I think that they could do uh, this more often. Again, I think it has to be to Chad's point, though. I think it has to either be like one comic at a time and all the characters in the same thing, or else I think it has to be like a backup in somebody else's book, unfortunately. Like, just because, again, you you just got to kind of limit the amount of time you're spending with this concept because it's interesting, but at the same time, it can be a little much. Or new plan. Scrap all that. You do an anthology series that only releases one issue, an oversized issue, just like the shows are two hours long or whatever it is, one oversized issue every year for each season. Oh, there you go. Ooh, I, I like that idea, like an MST3K annual. Yes. Ah. I like annuals, though, unless they're, of course, Atlantis Attacks. That one <laughs> Well, we'll be back with our rating of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 comic book. And, of course, we're not going to be talking about Atlantis Attacks during our recommendations. Or will we? Stay tuned for more of our Turkey Day extravaganza here on The Last Comic Shop right after this. Now, that'd be a good one for some riff tracks. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Nick Palatichuk. I'm an independent film director and screenwriter. I'm also an independent comic book artist and creator. I want to let you know about my podcast, The St. Paul Filmcast. It's a weekly podcast where I interview other independent filmmakers and other artists from the Twin Cities area. You can find the show on Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, and Amazon Radio, as well as distributor Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So, if you're interested in how independent films get made or the process of filmmaking, also, if you're interested in other artists' process and works as well, tune into my show, The St. Paul Filmcast, where it's not over till the guests say it's over. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our rating. But even though we are lifelong Mystery Science Theater 3000 fans, Joel Hodgson and the crew do not get a pass from us. Uh, because, again, this isn't the TV show. If they was the TV show, I'd always rate it four out of four because it's one of my favorite shows of all time. But this is the comic book. And did it work as well as that TV show, or was it just a little bit too out there in terms of a concept? Jay, what is our rating scale for this week? We're going to do one out of four comics in the hole. Ah, comics in the hole. Uh, did you know, by the way, that Artie, who, who is in both the comic book and the TV show, he's actually played by the wonderful Joel Hodgson. That's him on that Mystery Science Theater 2000 Netflix show. So he's it's, he is actually in every single episode. So there you go still. Uh, we'll go ahead and start off with Chad Smith as the non-Misty on today's program. Chad, did you have more love of this comic book than you do our beloved television series? Wait a minute. What was our rating scale again? I don't know if Com- I picked up on that. Comics in comics. the Hole. Is that a reference to a show? Well, that's how they send the comics. Oh, they... yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Otherwise, I was just going to pretend it was Totino's Pizza Rolls. Um, yeah. No, at the end of the day, as much as I, you know, I, I can respect the MST3K concept, I think they did that in comic book form. And I bet it was a blast to make. And a lot of times as I was reading this, it was a blast to read. I thought it was a fun little experiment. And... While it's not something I would pick up on a monthly basis, every now and again, I, I you know I wouldn't mind checking in uh, and just strapping in for the ride with a breakneck pace, with jokes after jokes and making fun of all this old school stuff. And they did they did find a hearty balance of just regular jokes and making fun of comic books as a medium. And like one thing I appreciated was even though they were making fun of comic books, they weren't making fun of comic books. You could tell they respected the medium with this. One thing I do want to say before we, we jump off of this book, though, one of my big things with comic books is you can do things in comic books that you can't do anywhere else. And it really bugs me when places try to adapt movies or TV and they don't take advantage of the comic book format. This does. This does in spades. So, uh, bravo, MST3K guys. Bravo. I'm going to give it three uh, comics in the hole. I thought they were successful. But just on a personal level, it's like, this would be a sometimes food, much like a Totino pizza roll. All right, J.A., how many movies in the hole are you giving it? Yeah, I struggle with this because I really like MST3K. I really like it, especially the old classic episodes. And I get what Chad's saying where, you know, you can do commentary on comics themselves. And I think we've seen that done a lot better in She-Hulk. So... Uh, I found after the third issue, it was getting tedious for me. I felt like uh, I got three more of these to get through so that I could read this for the show. Uh, it was like rewatching Side Hackers five times in a row or something. Oh, and that's a that's a bad one too. That's that's <laughs> so, awful. You know, I want to give it four because I was such a huge MST3K fan, and I can't. Uh, but I think two is a little bit too low. Uh, you know, I have to give it a, a bonus for the concept and for not just recreating the movie, but actually doing something interesting and different. As mu- as weird as I found it with that guy in Tom Servo's head, I'm going to see that in my fever dreams, I think. <laughs> I, I think you're going to have to give it uh, three comics in the hole as well. I think it'll be a trifecta of three comics in the hole, because that's what I'm going to give it. I can't give it anything higher than a three. Uh, to uh, Jay's point, I almost thought about twos at some point, 
because I think I was on the same page as him. I've sat through Mystery Science Theater 3000 episodes and I'm like, oh my God, this is a slog to get through. I would hate to have been a writer on this one. Like Castle of Fu Manchu. That's an awful movie and it just drags on and on and on. And I'm sorry, even though I like them. Sometimes when you read Golden Age or Silver Age comic books, they drag. They drag so badly. The dialogue is so stilted and it's rough. And even though somebody's making fun of it, you're still like, oh God. There's more pages of this? Oh, God. There's more art of this? Oh, man. And so, like, that that's what happened to me. As I mentioned earlier in the show, when we got through the first Black Cat story, which was kind of neat, I was like, okay, they're making fun of, like, one of those, you know, phantom lady kind of uh, good girl books that, that the, you know, the Golden Age and the Silver Age were so famous for. But then they went into a different story, and I was just like, oh, really? Really? Oh, thank God. Thank goodness there's these Crote robots, which I think worked perfectly. I think to Chad's point about like brevity being the source of comedy, like that's that was great for me because those Crote robot segments with the Crypt Keeper, those were like not only short stories, but they were just enough riffs and they were about 10 to 12 pages long. So I could see that being a regular segment in some other comic book or a magazine or something. And I would really enjoy that on a monthly basis. I don't think I, I enjoyed this as much. You know, but I will say this: I love the Todd Knock art. Todd Knock can draw any Mystery Science Theater three thousand character until the cows come home. He, he's a wonderful artist, and I love his stuff. And I love the fact that Joel tried something new because that's what he always does. He always likes to push the envelope. Uh, that's why we have Mystery Science Theater three thousand to begin with. So, like, yeah, I'm glad that he gave it a shot with comic books, even if it wasn't a rousing success. So. It is now time for other rousing successes on our show, though, because it's our recommendation section. This is a chance for us to talk about some other comic books that you can pick up in your local comic book shop in your spare time, in addition to the Mystery Science Theory 3000 comic book. Okay, yep. We like to give up something similar, uh, something recent, and something maybe out of bit of left field for you. But this week, we've got a Thanksgiving Day twist. Yes. That's right. Not only are you getting cranberry sauce in the can, you're also getting cranberry <laughs> sauce in the jelly form that wiggles. Oh, I don't want <laughs> sauce in the can. Anyway. So instead of just recommending one book or uh, one series, we're going to recommend something that we're thankful for and also kind of fits into that recent left field and similar categories. So, Andrew, what are you thankful for and can recommend in the comic book million. Well, well, one thing that I'm always thankful for is discount comic books. <laughs> Nothing is better than going to, like, say, half-price books or some library sale or, or something and finding some trade of some series that maybe you've never heard of or maybe you have. But instead of it being, like, 20 bucks or $15, you get it for a whopping $3. And you go, hey, hey, I will bite on that for $3 because that's even cheaper than a single issue nowadays. So to get a trade or something like that, it's wonderful. And that recently happened to me. And one of my recommendation this week is a kind of an obscure comic book, but I think it also goes along with one of my you know recommendations earlier in the show when I talked about Alex Raymond's Flash Gordon. This is a series called Rocket O. It was put out by Image Comics, and it was all done by Frank Espinoza. And uh, it's an interesting series that never got to finish. Mm. You know, he had it basically, I guess, like several trades worth of this Rockado Adventures that he was going to put out. But only two trades ever saw the light of day. And I found Rocket O Journey uh, to the Hidden Sea, which is volume one of his uh, Rocket O series. I found it again for three dollars and at first i didn't know what it was i was interested in the fact it was a rectangle instead of a traditional square uh comic book like it's a rectangle it's got long pages similar to some of the collections that you'd get of some of the old comic strips such as flash gordon and this has a very similar feel it it deals with uh, a planet earth kind of somewhat of the future where this giant space dragon comes and destroyed the moon have recreated the earth like all the continents are in different places and like nobody is able to tell where anything is anymore and there's no uh compass or or navigational because they don't have a moon so they like all the gravitational has been whacked out so they've got these people called mappers and they have like 
these gems or whatever, and they go around and they map the entire surface of the new world. And there's weird races like Earth giants and folks that live under the sea and and all kinds of things that, again, you'd find in a Flash Gordon comic book. But again, this guy, Rocketo, goes on this quest uh, after serving in, the, in this failed war and basically uh, kind of in some ways creating this giant robot monster that destroyed Benevolent Kingdom that kind of was keeping things in check. He goes and tries to set things right. And he joins up with this dog-faced sea captain, and they go on this epic journey. And the art, I will say, it's not like any Alex Raymond. It's kind of sketchy, and you sometimes don't know where it's coming from. But it's really good still. And after, like, I don't know, 20 pages, you really get into the world building this guy does. Because this guy world builds. That's what I'm just going to say. So go find it. You can get it on Comixology. Maybe you can even pick it up for $3 at some other discount comic book shop. But it's super interesting. Rocketo. And it is all rectangular goodness. Like like regular comic books are in their rectangular goodness. No, no. What I meant was it's it's like landscape, right? It's a landscape book. Not like a portrait rectangle. Ah. It's landscape. So it goes, like, it goes sideways. You know what I mean? Like... It's kind of it's like a a Garfield Garfield comic <laughs> that you used to get from the library or something. With again, like the the comic book panels and some of the pages go from one page to the next. It's kind of neat. All right, and Chad, do you have a landscape recommendation this week? Uh, mine is not landscape in nature, but it is uh, different than your average comic book. See, one of the things I'm super thankful for are the old school Marvel Treasury editions. They came out in the, the late 70s, mid to late 70s, and they're just great. A lot of them are regular comic books just blown up to an even bigger size. And there are a handful out there that uh, they deal with some of the like the best stories and some of the super, the holiday grab bags. You get, you know, Daredevil fighting Namor, uh, being beaten within an inch of his life, but he keeps going and all that stuff. And you get some of the Spider-Man, like the first appearance of the Sinister Six is in one of these Treasury Editions. It's coming in Galactus. There's so many great ones out there. But if I were to highlight one that I, I was thankful for, I would go with Jack Kirby's uh, Captain America's Bicentennial Battles. It came out in 1976. It's all original art done by Jack Kirby, uh, written, conceived, and drawn by Jack Kirby, with inks by Herb Trimpey, John Romita, and Barry Windsor Smith. So you get that slight variation depending on what the anchor is. And you get Cap basically going through time. Uh, you get a point where he's fighting the Red Skull and Hitler with Bucky by his side. You get a point where he is teaming up with Ben Franklin. Uh, you get a point where he is in the Old West uh, dealing with uh, a, an old mining town sort of thing. And then eventually you get Cap in space. And then cap on a Hollywood set with all the Busby Berkeley ladies kicking their legs up in the air. Um, it's just great and wonderful and crazy and all new for this comic book. Get uh, pinups of what Jack Kirby would look like if he was in colonial times or what he would look like if he was a rootin' tootin' western cap or space cap. It's, it's beautiful and it's big. It's bigger than your average comic. It's probably, oh geez. Two and a half comics in size, these old treasury editions. Uh, a lot of comic shops I found have them, but you have to ask where they are because they're not super duper popular and they'll keep them hidden. And once you track them down and open them up, you can see how beautiful they are. There's there's one to pick out of the box. If you don't have a personal favorite you're looking for, I recommend that Captain America's Bicentennial Battles. It's great. Chad, correct me if I'm wrong, but the... Treasury editions are actually closer in size to the original drawings, the original like panel drawings that the artist would have done, the original art pages. Well, sort of. And so if you want something that's the size of the, the way the artists would draw them, the 11 by 17s, like, let me recommend the artist editions or artisan editions. I know IDW puts out a ton of those. I actually own two uh of those and they are like prized possessions because they'll show the art at the scale that it was originally drawn at back in the day um those are slightly well they're not slightly they are bigger than the treasury editions because the treasury edition is essentially if you took two comic books and turned them on their side you would get one treasury edition almost right oh uh, yeah let's do that so we've got one comic book there we got one comic book there. yeah how about that yeah it's like two 
two landscape comic books stacked on top of each other. We were talking about artist editions last week a bit too. So yeah, during oh. our, with the Red Sonia. Now is that two treasuries stacked on top of each other? So let's see. I mean, it's essentially because if you if you figure that there's borders and whatnot, right? Yeah, you're the probably going to add an extra inch and a half to both length and width on this one from the treasuries. I could probably get out a ruler and measure these things. Or just do a quick <laughs> Google yeah. and find out the dimensions. All right, you want to talk about things being tedious. You getting out rulers and measuring comic. Let's let's all make sure that we measure. Our, what is up with men wanting to measure things? That's that's all I got to say. Size that. matters when it comes to comic books. Other stuff yes. is about motions and oceans and all that other thing. But comic books, the bigger you can get them, the better, my friends. The bigger, the better. Except when it comes to bagging them or boarding them. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. while we're talking about all sizes and, and different formats for comics, the, the format that I'm most thankful for today is the Omnibus. Yes, that's right. As someone who's box of comics is sitting somewhere in my parents' attic half a world away who doesn't have access to any of his original stuff. I love the fact that I can turn to my bookshelf and among my hearty leather tomes and pull out a nice hefty omnibus and read 20, 30, 40, 50 issues, 70 issues, 60 issues at at a clip. Yes, they're a little bit heavy. Yes, it helps if you have a table, but <laughs> I really love uh, what Marvel and DC and and the comics in general have been doing is collecting these stories and these runs and these story arcs into uh, something that is you know preserved a little bit better than just a flimsy trade paperback. And if I could recommend one omnibus for this show, it would be the New Mutants Volume One. <laughs> came out earlier this year and collects uh, Marvel Graphic Novel number 4, New Mutants 1 through 34, New Mutants Annual. So you know how much we all like annuals. It's not the Atlantis Attack one. <laughs> I tell you, so it's okay. Uh, Magic 1 through 4, and just lots of little bits that, if you were trying to collect it, would take you a long time to get. Because it's Chris Claremont, there's all these little facets of the story that showed up in other comics. And this, you know, takes the time to collect them all for you. So you don't have to worry about, oh, well, you know, all those little Stan Lee, hey, sports fan, this this was in X-Men number 167. Well, this has X-Men number 167 in it, so you don't have to go looking for it. It's right there for you. Well, there you and go. they're super classy. As much as I complain about comics being too expensive, like, you might be shelling out 100 bucks at a go to read a comic book. But when you put that on your shelf, that's something people are going to respect. Yes, but they're often uh, discounted. If you go to, like, you know, those instocktrade.com and, and some of these other trade paperback or trade comic book websites, they often – you can get them for, like, 30% off, 40% off. And some of the less popular ones, like, I think, Andrew, did you get a Defenders one for, like, 20 bucks? Yeah, I absolutely did. I got, uh, again, the first, I think, what, 20, 25 issues of the Defenders series by Roy Thomas and everything, the classic ones. All the additional ones, too, like there was, like, a Submariner issue and a Hulk issue and some other books that came out before even the Defenders started. So, like, I got all of that. Again, discount comic books. That's what I'm thankful for. You, you know what's also awesome about omnibuses? They double as a home security system. So you don't need a baseball bat. You just buy a really hefty omnibus. You put that by your bedside. And if you ever get broken into, just start waving. Just start hitting them over the head with some amazing Spider-Man. Make those superheroes work for you, kids. <laughs> and you know what also works for you every single week? The Last Comic Shop Podcast. Make sure that you tune in every single week and follow our misadventures through the wonderful world of comic books as we bring you comic book reviews and recommendations. And if you like what we're putting down, make sure that you rate, review, and subscribe by going out to www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can get all the links to all those places where you can find our podcast, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Amazon Podcast, Pandora, YouTube, all these great places. And if you like our show, be the gravy on top of our mashed potatoes by leaving us a five-star review. Do it! Do it 
because you're thankful for what we give you every single week in terms of great things that you can pick up at your local comic book shop, right? It's the right thing to do. It's, it's the beginning of the Christmas season. Be jolly. Be thankful. Be good to us and leave us a review, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And if you still want to talk to us, you can find us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram at Last Comic Shop. And on Facebook, The Last Comic Shop Podcast. And once again, you can find all that information at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. Where they can find what else, J.A.? They can find a link to our merchandise store where we've got a special this week. Be it red, be it blue, be it yellow, or even gray, you can get a Last Comic Shop jumpsuit. That's right. MST3K viewing pleasure. Might not have the jumpsuit, might have told a little bit of a good there, but we do have regular specials and coming soon for the holiday season. Be on the lookout. You won't want to miss our Christmas Last Comic Shop t-shirt. Oh, wait, wait. there you go. We wait, did a Christmas t-shirt. Uh, yeah, we're going to have a t-shirt. It's, it's like we had for, the, for Halloween. We're going to have a special t-shirt only available until... New Year's Eve, so make sure that you keep on checking out www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com Stay tuned, I guess. I don't know. But while we are the Last Comic Shop Podcast, we don't want to actually be the Last Comic Shop, which is why we encourage you to head out to your local comic shops. You can find them by using the Comic Shop Locator at www.comicshoplocator.com where you might find a place to stumble in and find those Mystery Science 3000 a comic book comic books. Or maybe you'll want to look for some discounted comics over in the buck bins or the trades that are on sale. Maybe there's some good Black Friday deals going on. Or maybe you can ask, hey, do you guys have any of those old school treasuries? And make them dig around in the back to bring out that big old box of those heavy things that are tough to lug around, but beautiful whenever you get them out there. Or maybe you want something that's big and heavy and expensive, and so you'll go for the omnibus selection. You can't go wrong at your local comic shop. Find them, go there, support those guys today. All right. And we'll be back with more of The Last Comic Shop next week. And until then, I was the host with the most, Andy Larson. I was joined by J.A. Scott and Chad Smith. And remember to stay safe, stay sheltered. Watch out, because sometimes they'll try to kill you with a forklift. Push the button, Frank. The Last Comic Shop was a 2021 Black Angus production.